Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes up on a mountain and prays to his Father all night. Do you have a lifestyle of fervent prayer and hungering for Jesus? Do you understand your complete spiritual bankruptcy and that it's only in Jesus you can receive spiritual life, the forgiveness of your sins, and ultimately go to heaven when you die? Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 6 and look at the incredible opportunity we have to increasingly hunger for more of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday afternoon here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus and spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, above all growing to obey him, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to continue in Luke 6 today. <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll get through uh, verses 12 through 26. Um, just uh, just powerful words from Jesus here. It's uh, they're words that he's repeated uh, with, uh, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the most famous teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mountain. Um, incredible teaching from Jesus. Here, several of the same things are repeated, not in exactly the same way. Um, and undoubtedly, when Jesus went from place to place, um, he, you know, probably taught similar things at similar times, right? When he was talking to different crowds in different places that were whatever, five or 10 or 20 miles away or whatever. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have our Bible. We thank you that we have the, the Holy Bible to feed us spiritually and to feed our soul. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us and dying a perfect, torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Open our hearts, open our minds, give us eyes that see and ears that hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Luke 6, starting in verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Very, very profound words like like everything in the Bible from Jesus. And as we get into these uh, blessings and woes, as it says, you know, it's uh, their spiritual principles he's speaking about, because someone will automatically say, well, golly, I'm well fed now. Um, so, you know, does that mean that, you know, that woe to me and that I'm not going to be blessed and that, you know, if I laugh now, am I going to mourn and weep? And so we'll get into what that means. Woe to you who are rich now, pretty much anyone in the West, right? Um, anyone that's not living in a really a third world country for the most part is biblically rich. Now I'm not talking about, you know, we all have poverty in, in, in first world nations. Um, but I mean, if you're living, um, and you have your own apartment, your own place, your own job, your own home, your own car, biblically speaking, you're rich, right? Um, as far as your, you know, literal finances and money goes, um, you know, based on biblical, you know, standards, all of us here in the West are, are rich. And like I said, I'm not talking about that. Certainly there are people who are poor and who are struggling and are homeless. Um, but for the vast majority of us, all of us have our own places. Um, we have a roof over our head. We have our own apartment, our own house. We have our own cars. Um, we're just so blessed with material blessings, right? All right. So verse 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. This is interesting. I have never done this. I don't know if, if any of y'all have done this. Have, have any of y'all ever spent all night praying to God, meaning like you're going to go to bed at, say, 10 o'clock at night and you don't do anything but stay up and pray from, you know, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m.? Um, it's not something I've done. It's something that... Um, that those who have done it have, uh, it, it's an amazing experience. It's, it's been said, right? Um, obviously, it's uh, it's something that's good for us to have disciplined times of prayer. Um, for most people, it's hard to pray for two minutes, right? All of us ought to have a prayer life, a growing prayer life. So you do want to examine your prayer life, okay? You don't go from praying like, like a minute a day to praying for eight hours all night, right? So in prayer, oftentimes is spontaneous, but for the most part, it is going to be a discipline, right, Kristen? Meaning we have to we have to spend time and take time to discipline in ourselves in our prayer life with Jesus. And it's the same with any relationship. If we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus or our, our spouse or our brothers and sisters in Christ, or our friends or our children, it's going to take time and effort. And so, you know, 
set aside, you know, three or four or five times a day just for one or two minutes to go and, and spend time in prayer. You know, pray to your heavenly father, pray to Jesus, pray to the Holy Spirit. They're all God, right? Um, we have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings. They're all God. You can pray to any of them. Now, don't pray to any human beings. Um, the only intercessor we need is Jesus, okay? We don't need someone who's passed on and, you know, lived or, or was, a, a, you know, was, a, was a wonderful person in the Bible, um, you know, to pray on our behalf. In Jesus Christ, you have access to God the Father, to God the Son, Jesus, and to God the Holy Spirit. So um, when we pray, we, we access the triune God in and through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, if you're not trusting in him alone, then, then really you have no access to God in any manner in any way. Okay, In Jesus, God the Father becomes your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior and Master and King. The Holy Spirit becomes your guide, your counselor, and your comforter. So if you're not sure that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure that you're trusting and relying on Christ alone, perhaps you would say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but it's more just like an intellectual belief. I don't know that it's a, a genuine trust and reliance and clinging to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul and to keep me from eternal hell because that's why we need Jesus. Uh, John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you genuinely received Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, and to ultimately go to heaven when you die as opposed to hell? Receiving Jesus simply begins with acknowledging that all of us are sinful. All 8 billion people in the world, Wade, need Jesus, okay? Every single human being alive today needs Jesus. Every human being that's ever lived needs Jesus, okay? Um, and so it begins with acknowledging the simple truth, humbling ourselves before the Bible. The Bible says that all human beings are sinful, it's unambiguous. It's clear. Every single human being has sinned. We've all had wrong thoughts. We certainly all spoken wrong words and we've all done wrong things. Romans 3.23 says that every single person alive that has ever lived, save Jesus, has sinned and fall, fallen short of God's holy standard. And because of that, we're separated from the triune God. We're spiritually dead right? We're naturally and physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. And in that state, we cannot know the triune God in any manner or in any way. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So out of genuine humility, right? If you're not sure, you can simply today humble yourself before Jesus and call out to him. Now hear me, it's not just puppeting words that saves us. We can't just puppet some words and just believe by saying words that we're saved. Our words don't save us. It's it's Christ that saves us. But we certainly use our words to communicate our heart. And so simply humble yourself today as best you can, right? And just genuine humility, just go before the Lord and pray, Lord Jesus, I 
I confess that I am a sinful person. Lord, I know that I've done wrong. And Lord, I know that I am hopeless and helpless and I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death on the cross for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today. And I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, it's it's not it's not just about you know, going through that routine and saying those words. A Christian is simply who someone, someone who believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, God the Son, full-blown God that became a human man on your behalf and in your, in your place, lived a perfect life on your behalf and in your place, died on the cross on behalf and in your place, and, it is, and is alive and risen. And someone who's now trusting in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. That's a Christian today, okay? But again, use the words I used if you're not sure. But what's important is the humility of your heart, humbling yourself before Jesus, acknowledging your your hopeless desperation without him, and then humbly throwing yourself at the foot of the cross at the feet of Jesus and humbly asking him to save you and be the Lord of your life. And you will become a Christian. And God the Father will become your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ will become your Lord and Savior and Master and King. And the Holy Spirit will become your guide, your counselor, and your comforter. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So it's interesting. Jesus is God, but he lived his life. You know, he often did not tap into his deity. Jesus always had access to his deity, but he often shelved it so he would experience life as you and I did. Okay. Obviously, as God, he doesn't need to spend all night praying to the Father because he's already God. He he's all powerful. He can do anything. But we see here that again, he, you know, he's about to in verse thirteen, you know choose his his apostles, right? And then we have them named here in Luke 6. You have the name of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose from his disciples. He had many disciples following him. It could have been hundreds, even thousands, but out of them, he chooses 12 apostles. Um, and so he prays all night, okay, again. Um, and he's doing that as a man. Remember, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So in verse 13, it says, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. So this is a very important time in Jesus's life. These 12 guys or 11 of them because Judas was a traitor are going to are going to carry on the message of Christ and really begin the early church which is going to, you know, spread out now over the last 2000 years to be a a worldwide church in Jesus Christ, right? Um, and so the choosing of these, of these 12 is important. And it appears here very clearly that again, he was praying to his heavenly father, you know, looking for guidance on whom to choose. Now, again, we're not told that, but it does say he spent all night in prayer. Um, and then, you know, 
went and chose his disciples. Okay, It says he designated them apostles. Apostle simply means one who is sent, in this case, sent by Jesus. Um, and then it names the apostles. Okay, A lot of folks want to know, where does it say? Um, here in Luke 6, it names the, the 12 apostles. Simon, who we named Peter, his brother Andrew, this is verse 14, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, 15, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and verse 16, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, one would wonder, you know, why is it, May, that that Jesus spends all night in prayer, chooses the 12 apostles, and then chooses one that he knows is going to be a traitor, okay? We know in John 6 that, that you know, it says that Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And so it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that Jesus would intentionally choose Judas knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Now, Judas certainly had the opportunity to repent and become a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. It just shows we do not understand the ways of the Lord. And it does show that oftentimes the Lord allows, you know, you know, the ungodly or the insincere to be in our group, right? Of these 12 apostles, one of them was, was not genuine. He wasn't a true believer. He was insincere. And, and ultimately, he betrayed Jesus and, uh, and turned him over for 30, you know, 30 pieces of silver. Now, ultimately, Judas threw the money back and proclaimed that, that uh, you know, that he had, you know, betrayed innocent blood. Um, but again, it's just interesting. It's, uh, you know, his ways are not our ways, the scripture says, right? Uh, the ways of God are, are often not, and they're often counterintuitive to how what we would do. All right, verse 17. This is how we can tell that it's, it's uh, you know, it's not the same sermon because in, in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, in Matthew five, it says he went up on a mountain and his disciples came and spoke to him. In verse 17, it says he went down with them and stood on a level place. So this particular teaching, this sermon was not on a mountain. This was, this one was on a level place. Okay. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and all the, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So again, Jesus consistently drew large crowds. There's a place where he feeds 5,000 people, right? And we discussed this in John, in uh, John chapter 6. And that doesn't even count the women and children. Scholars say there could have been up to 20,000 people there. You remember at the end of chapter 8, where Jesus was walk, walking along, and it says the crowds were so great that he was, he was almost crushed. He was almost suffocated, all right? And this says a large crowd of his disciples, again, uh, he had hundreds, maybe even thousands of disciples, people that were following him. They, they were generally often not following for the right reasons. His disciples were. A disciple was someone and is someone, you know, who's an apprentice of their master. We are all called to be disciples of Jesus today. 
uh, you and I are not called to be disciples of any man. Okay. In Jesus's day, the Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. No more. There are only disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, uh, you may have older men or, or women, or they may, may even be younger, more mature men or women in the faith that are discipling you, but you are not their disciples. Certainly, you know, none of the people that I work with are my disciples. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ. It's, it's our job to help others grow in being disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay. It says a large crowd of his disciples was there. So again, we are all disciples of Jesus Christ, okay? No human being has any disciples anymore. And if we do, then it's wrong. We should all have people as we grow in Christ that we are discipling in Christ, but they're disciples of Jesus, right, Father Rick? I mean, um, it's, our not, it's not our job to make disciples of ourselves. We are, you know, we are humble sinners like everyone else that need a Savior, and, and only Jesus Christ is our only savior, our only hope, right? Um, and so our job is to make, you know, ever maturing disciples of Jesus Christ and for we ourselves to be growing and maturing disciples of Jesus. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So, as I've said before, um, there were massive crowds coming to Jesus, but for the most part, they weren't coming for the foundational reason that they need him. The foundational reason we need Jesus is we're all sinful. We need a savior, okay? To, we need Jesus to save us from our sin and from eternal hell. Now, Jesus is also an incredible healer. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, then absolutely you want to go to him uh, for whatever deliverance you need. Okay, Jesus is where we want to go first. As Christians, oftentimes Jesus is the last place we go, right? We go to doctors. I mean, we may go to alcohol. We may go to Netflix. We may go to Facebook, right, Peyton? But we, you know, we need to be going to Jesus you know, for all of our needs in prayer, right? In supplication. Um, it says they were, they were coming from everywhere, okay? A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now look at this. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and all, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now, now listen, look at that. And healing them all. Okay. So there could have been hundreds, probably even thousands of people. And everyone was getting healed of any malady that they had. And the, now this is his deity now. Okay. Um, th th that power is coming from, from you know, from the fact that he is God, it's coming through his humanity, coming out of him, and everyone was being healed of everything they've had. Now today, again, we, Jesus still heals today. There is no question of that. You know, we haven't seen a mass healing like this, um, 
And, and certainly, we, again, we go to Jesus and we petition him for our healing or for our deliverance in whatever it is, be it spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, financially, or relationally. Whatever, whatever issues we're having, we want to bring Jesus into it. Whatever blessings we're having, we want to bring Jesus into it. But there's such power coming out of him. We can all understand this. If Jesus, you know, came back today, right, and stood in, uh, you know, in the middle of Dallas, Texas, again, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be hundreds or thousands, there'd be millions, tens of millions, right? There'd be no words, right? Um, and so, you know, massive crowds are coming. It says they are coming to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were cured, right? It's in Christ that we have all of our deliverance spiritually from sin, spiritually from the devil and the demons, and it's also in Christ that we're delivered physically. Now, in today's day and age, right, Chloe, uh, Jesus will often use doctors or medication or, or hospitals, and, and again, those are good things. Those are blessings, but ultimately, all healing there are different methods that Jesus uses, and sometimes we just pray, and Jesus may heal us, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the greatest way, right? Um, but we still do now have doctors and medication, like I said, and those are those are good things. Um, in nineteen, it says, "In and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him, and healing them all." Now, again, this was not the primary purpose you know, that Jesus came. Jesus came, right, uh, to bring in the kingdom of God and to be the savior of the world. But part of his ministry was healing the sick and delivering them from evil spirits. And again, that's still a part of his ministry today. But all of that is secondary to our need of Jesus. Every human being's need of Jesus. Again, all 8 billion people in the world need Jesus, Wade, for the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their soul. So all this is happening, right? This incredible, the power of God, Jesus is God, is coming out of him, right? His godness, so to speak, is leaking out of him and everybody's getting healed, okay? It says it was coming from him and healing them all, right? Incredible, Corinne. Look at verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, so now he's going to move into this teaching. Looking at his disciples, are you a disciple of Jesus today? Because this teaching is for disciples. It's not just for believers, right? A disciple of Jesus is someone who's an apprentice of Jesus. They're trying to be like Jesus more and more in every aspect of their life. There's a difference between a convert, someone who's given their life to Jesus and is trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, and a disciple of Jesus, right? There's a difference between a believer in Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. You spend time with Jesus Christ every day, growing in your relationship with Jesus. You do that by spending time primarily in the scriptures, in the word of God, reading and studying and meditating on the Bible, right, Lauren? Studying your Bible and then obeying your Bible and, and repenting, you know, where you fall short, Nathan, right? Um, a disciple of Jesus, again, is someone who's, who's actively pursuing Jesus, growing to know him, growing and trying to be like him and emulate him 
in every aspect of their lives, okay? Um, so you want to examine yourself today. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you legitimately, Scott, have a lifestyle of trying to be like Jesus, studying your Bible, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you, growing to love others and help others be disciples of Jesus. Is that reflected in your lifestyle? Is it reflected in your time? Is it reflected in the use of your talents, your gifts and talents, the things you're good at? Is it reflected in the use of your treasure, of your money, right? These are all ways you can discern whether you're a disciple of Jesus or whether you're just a believer in Jesus or a convert to Christianity. And so it says in verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said. So again, this teaching is for disciples. This is for people who want to go deep in Jesus, which ought to be the heart of all of us. Okay. And Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus didn't say go and make churches, although we've certainly done that. and Churches are good. He didn't say go and make converts. And we've certainly done that. And that's good. He didn't say go and make Christians. And that's a good thing. You have to be a Christian before you can be a disciple. Okay. Um, you have to be you have to have spiritual life in you, okay? You have to have Jesus living in you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives in you, becomes one with your spirit, and gives you life spiritually. So you're not only naturally alive, but now you're spiritually alive as well. And in that place, now you can begin to be a disciple of Jesus, he didn't say, what he said is go and make disciples of all nations, right? Matthew 28, 18 to 20, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. So again, a disciple of Jesus is growing to obey Jesus in all aspects of the Bible, in every aspect of their lives, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally, right, Alicia? All right. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. So he, he gives, he gives three, three principles here, and he's speaking about spiritual principles here. He's not speaking as much about the natural as he is about the spiritual. So when he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a natural poverty, okay? Blessed are you who are poor, who are spiritually poor, and recognize your spiritual poverty. This is where everything begins, okay? We, you know, there's a lot of things we may not be able to do in Christianity, but we ought to be able to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, anyone can do this, okay? And everyone must do this. It's not until you come to recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt, broken, sinful, and hopeless that you can enter into the kingdom of God, as we talked about earlier, that you can enter into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that you can go to heaven when you die, or that you can experience the life of Christ in any manner or in any way, okay? You cannot know who God is unless you have recognized your spiritual bankruptcy, recognized your poverty of spirit, 
and humbled yourself before Christ and in humility asked him to save you from your sin and to be the Lord of your life. Now, from that place, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So, so first of all, have you recognized your spiritual poverty and you know your spiritual bankruptcy and in, in, in giving yourself to Jesus Christ, knowing he's the only way to spiritual life, to eternal life now and for all eternity in heaven? Okay, then after you've become a Christian, you receive Jesus Christ still. Do you, are you spiritually hungry? You know, because he says in verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. As Christians, we ought to be hungry for Jesus. We ought to be hungry for the Bible. We ought to be hungry, right, Leah, just for the, the things of Christ and to know Jesus, Gary, and to just and to just uh, desire to be with him and to grow to know him more. And we ought to be hungry to, to repent of our sins and excited to, to be more like Christ. Not because we have to do any of these things, but because we get to do them, right? So again, it's, it's someone who, is, uh, who recognizes their spiritual poverty that can then receive the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ and begin to know the triune God. Again, if you don't recognize your spiritual bankruptcy, if you don't know you're utterly bankrupt, spiritually dead, then you cannot know God in any manner, in any way. Okay? So yes, it's only in biblical Christianity that you can have any relationship and any knowing of, of the triune God in any manner or in any way. Okay? I understand that sounds intolerant. That's the plain teaching of the Bible. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His words, okay? His very words. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now as Christians, are you hungry? Are you hungry for more Jesus, Armando? Ezekiel, are you hungry for more Jesus? We were in Africa, Jesse and I, the, the second time. And, uh, and the theme was more Jesus. Do you just want more Jesus in your life or do you have all you need? Because he says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Do you grieve? Do you have a grief over the sin in your life? Are you aware of the sin in your life and do you grieve over it? When he says, blessed are you who weep now, he's talking about a genuine grief, a conviction over first your sin and then the general state of, uh, of the world, right? The general state of society. Do you have a grief just over all the, all the brokenness in the world today? I mean, the Bible ends, I say this all the time, earnestly. I desire Jesus to come right now. I wish Jesus would come back before this teaching ends. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible ends in Revelation 22 with the Apostle John saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Blessed are you who weep now. Do you have a grief, a sadness, a conviction over your sin? 
And then do you have a grief and sadness over the sin in, in, you know, in the lives of others and your brothers and sisters in Christ and in the, and in the world at large? Okay. Because if you're not bothered at all by the situation, by the state of the world, okay, then again, you haven't recognized your spiritual bankruptcy yet. Now, again, we're all in different places in this, okay? We're all growing in this. And the more we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, the more hungry for him we'll be. The more genuinely we'll recognize our spiritual poverty in every way. And the more we'll run to Christ you know, moment by moment, day by day, the more we'll be grieved over our sin and over the sin of the world. But he says, blessed are you who weep now in this state for you will laugh for the time will come, right? When we're delivered from this body, when Jesus does return or when he takes us home, that, that we'll leap for joy, that we'll laugh, right? Wow. Verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil, because of the son of man, okay? If everyone likes you as a Christian, if you're a Christian and everyone likes you, or even the vast majority of people like you, you ought to examine yourself, okay? Um, he says in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Okay, this is coming off of 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. And that means men and women when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man, Jesus. How much persecution do you receive from Jesus? How much do you make people uncomfortable in Jesus? Okay. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. When I was studying for this, the scholars, you know, were pointing out some, uh, you know, some incredible men of God that were, uh, you know, that were going to their persecution. They were going to be burned at the stake. And the testimonies given by these men, that as they were about to be tied to the stake and burned, totally burned to death, right? Which is obviously unfathomable to us. But they went rejoicing and leaping for joy, right? They were so excited to get this ultimate persecution, knowing that they would be with Jesus moments later. Father, we just worship you and thank you for your mercy. Father, I ask you to forgive us, to forgive me, Father, for uh, just for being, uh, you know, just just for being so frustrated with seemingly very, you know, very, very modest persecution and in comparison. Um, but, you know, Jesus says we're blessed. If you're, if you're living your life in Christ and speaking the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 says, oftentimes people aren't going to want to hear the truth. They'll reject the truth. People don't like that Christianity is, is so specific, that the Bible is so absolute. It's, it's unambiguous. Yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. To the majority of the world, that seems intolerant and mean. That's what the Bible teaches. It's the greatest love story ever told. We're not being intolerant. We're being loving when we share that Jesus Christ is the only way to have your sins forgiven and to ultimately go to heaven and not hell when you die, right? Hmm. 
24 to 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Okay. Now, again, he's speaking in a spiritual context here. If you believe you have all you need, if you believe you're spiritually rich, if you believe you've got it all figured out, it's similar to someone who's physically rich, right? When, when, when we have all the money we need, oftentimes it's hard for us to grow to know Jesus because our money, you know, brings us all the satisfaction we're looking for, right? When we're physically rich, Money supplies all our comforts and all our needs. It's not until Jesus brings us to a place of poverty, whether it be with our health or whatever it is where where our money cannot help us, that that's when we really, you know, see our need of it, right? And, and oftentimes Jesus has to bring us to that. You know, generally he'll bring us all to that at different times in our lives, right? But woe to you are rich, again, from a spiritual standpoint, if you believe you have everything you need, for you have already received your comfort, right? And so again, if uh, the more wealthy we are physically, okay, the more that we, we get our comfort from that, the more we get our peace from that. And you may be listening to this and you may, you may be comfortable financially. Your point is you want to understand your spiritual bankruptcy, okay, and know your desperate need of Christ to receive him as savior and then to, to live with a hungry attitude for more of Jesus, right? Blessed are those who hunger now. Um, and, and, you know, just Father, we, we all can repent. I do repent, Lord, for we do just receive so much of our comfort from our, our material wealth. 25, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry again. If you don't have a desire for more Jesus, if spiritually you just feel like you have all you need, you believe in God, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Again, if you don't have a hunger for Christ, even as a believer in Christ, as a disciple of Jesus, you ought to have a, a growing hunger to know him and to love him and to know his love and to, and to obey him and to help others to obey him and to spend time in your Bible and, and prayer and just to have a lifestyle of, of thanksgiving. Right, Benny? Right, Ian? Whew. Woe to you who laugh now, 25, for you will mourn and weep. If you don't really have any grief over your sin, over the sin of the world, and you just love the world as it is, and you love all the, the, the sin and just the terribleness and just all the problems in the world, all the hate, Woe to you who laugh now. If you don't have any grief over the state of the world, for you will mourn and weep later. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. Have mercy on us. And finally, 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. If you're a Christian today, in particular if you're a minister, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Okay? Again, the message of Christianity, the message and the exclusivity of the cross of Christ, the message that it's Jesus or hell, okay, is a stumbling offense, okay? People generally want to be their own God. Until we come to Christ, we like running our own lives, doing our own things. We don't want Jesus as our Lord, right? Um, it, it's, it's a stumbling block. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. 
Okay. Now, again, we're not, he's not talking about here, obviously, if you're doing things that are wrong, right? If you're being unnecessarily rude, as I have been, forgive me, Lord. Um, you know, if you're being unnecessarily harsh, forgive me, Lord, as I have been, then, you know, then people aren't going to like you in general, but, but you have to speak the truth, right? Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love. And, and, and oftentimes people aren't going to want to hear that. Okay. Um, and whoever you're speaking to, okay, if it's if it's someone that's a pastor or says there's a pastor, but yet but Christ is not the center, then you, yes, we do need to speak the truth and say, you know, that's not true. Jesus is the center of all things, or whomever we're talking to, okay. Um, but in general, if we're a Christian today, and especially a Christian minister, and just everyone is speaking well of us, that's a sign in our life that certainly something is out of place. And we want to examine the boldness of our walk and our profession of Christ. We want to examine, are we proclaiming that the world is full of sin and that we need a savior? Are we proclaiming the need of the repentance of our sin, even as Christians, right? We don't get saved by that, but even as Christians, we want to grow and mature and repenting over our sin and becoming more like Jesus, right? Well, Father, we do thank you for your word today. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives, Lord. Father, we thank you and we ask you to help us one and all, Father, to understand our spiritual bankruptcy, our spiritual poverty, and help us to hunger for more of you, Lord Jesus. Help us to hunger for your word, for the living word of God, for the Bible. Mm. Help us, Lord Jesus, to grieve and be convicted over our sin not only ours, Lord, but the, the sin of the world, the sin of, of society. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We ask you to lead us and guide us and convict us to have a, a growing prayer life, a growing life of praise and worship, Holy Spirit. Convict us that we would have a growing life of, of, of repentance and of thanksgiving. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.